Thanks so much for joining us today at the bridge. Uh, you know, we made it through 2020, and who could have imagined that 2021 would start with such um, difficulty, uh, with major division in our nation, with protests and rebellion in the Capitol. And sadly, one of the key issues of all of this has been the failure of leadership. Leadership is important. When the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Peter, the church was undergoing intense adversity and real persecution. In our passage today, we see that there is hope and adversity when leaders lead well. I'm glad you got to see our leaders on Zoom uh, today as they invited you to the Bridge's annual meeting on, on January 24th. We have good leaders, um, and they have led well during a year of significant adversity. Uh, I'm grateful to be a part of this leadership team because they are committed to uh, serving you. They're committed to your well-being, and they're committed to the future of the bridge. And they put many hours in every month serving you. Leaders are important to God's church. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says uh, in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, when he describes the qualifications for a leader, for an elder. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and you can just listen. Paul writes, Now the overseer or elder is to be above reproach. He doesn't say they're to be perfect. They're human. But they are to have strong moral character. Faithful to his wife. That qualification is even higher than we have for elected officials. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as a devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. He needs to have a good reputation both inside and outside the church. God has high standards for leaders, higher standards than that are required to be elected to an office in this land. Um, when choosing elders, we must remember the qualifications that the Apostle Paul marks out here. Serving as a leader in the church is a high calling, and the church should never take this lightly, and leaders should never take this lightly. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter begins, begins by addressing church leaders. Um, I want to read, first of all, the first four verses. So uh, 
Open your scriptures, if you have them, to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm reading verses 1 through 4. So here's what the Apostle Peter writes about elders. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter writes about leading in the church. Who is to lead? And and we see this in verses uh, 1 and 2. Peter begins in verse 1, to the elders among you. He describes the leaders of the churches in Asia Minor Minor that he's writing to as elders. And he gives uh, appropriate instruction for leadership in the church. Next, he says, I appeal as a fellow elder. Think of this. Peter was an apostle. He, he was given apostolic authority from Jesus uh, in person. Um, yet he doesn't throw his title around. He could have used his, his title, his position of authority uh, and, and um, maybe even pressured uh, the elders, but he doesn't. He, he appeals to them as an equal. He, he appeal, appeals to them as a fellow elder. And then he says, and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter was an eyewitness. Uh, he was there with Christ when, when Jesus was arrested. Um, he, was, he was there uh, when, when Jesus was Uh, beaten when Jesus was crucified and he went to the empty tomb when Jesus was resurrected. And verse 2, Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock. And God's flock refers to the church. It refers to believers in Christ. And here Peter describes their leadership, leadership function to be shepherds of God's flock. And this idea of being a shepherd is, is it a very important principle of leadership in both the Old and the New Testament. Peter goes on and he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. And here's the difference between the NIV that I'm reading right now and the older NIV, which I prefer. And instead of saying watching over them, it says serving as overseers. Um, because the word overseer is a very important concept um, when it comes to leading. And I'll address that in just a minute. In the Old Testament, Psalm 23 speaks of the Lord as my shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, God calls the religious leaders uh, shepherds of Israel. And God rebukes them because they did not take care of their flock. They did not take care of the sheep. They did not take care of the people of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is called the good shepherd and Christ's followers are his sheep. Now, Peter understood this very well firsthand because 
in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, and after Peter had failed Jesus and denied him three times, Jesus restores Peter to leadership in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. And, and he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And, and Peter was sort of surprised. And he said, you know, I love you. And, and Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then, and then Jesus came back, Peter, do you love me? And again, Peter is surprised. And, and, and Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then one more time, he said, Peter, do you love me? And yes, Lord. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter understood what his role was as a shepherd. The key terms I want us to see here that we see um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, and Paul, the Apostle Paul also uses both of these words. The first word is elder, and the Greek word is presbuteros. And I, I don't say that to impress you, but that's where we get the word presbyter, and it's also where Presbyterian comes from. And um, an elder is a presbuteros. Now, both Peter and Paul use the, this term for leaders. And the term elder is a respected term. It's a term of respect and maturity. It has nothing to do with being a member of ARP. I'll have to tell some of you what that means. American Associated Retired Persons. And you don't have to get a senior discount at uh, McDonald's to be an elder. Uh, the second term I want us to see is the word overseer. The Greek word here is episkopos or bishop. And these words, elder and overseer, are used interchangeably in the New Testament by both Peter and Paul. Now, a bishop sounds like a lofty position. Uh, that's also where we get the, the word episcopal or episcopalian. Um, and an elder could be called a bishop. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, look what uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says about um, someone who wants to be an elder. He says, it's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Now, I confess, uh, as a young Christian, when I, when I understood about leadership in the church, I sort of thought it would be wrong to want to be a leader in the church, like it would be self-promoting or being self-focused. But after understanding 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, when a man desires to be a leader in the church, it can be a very good desire, especially if God is the one who's placed that on his heart. Um, we also have uh, key responsibilities here uh, when it comes to being shepherds of God's flock. And the first uh, key responsibility is, is to lead. That's what shepherds do. They, they lead their sheep. And when it comes to leadership in the church, it means to navigate through culture. It means to navigate through the times. Uh, we're not in 1950 anymore. Leaders in 1950 had certain responsibility and they faced certain challenges, but we don't have many of those challenges today. We have a whole new set of challenges. And leaders have to continually keep up 
with penetrating the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To lead, to lead through uh, a COVID year, to lead is to keep the church on mission. Another uh, key concept is to feed or, or to instruct. This is the feeding of the lambs and the sheep. It means to teach truth. It means to teach the scriptures, to develop sound doctrine in our thinking, to help people develop a biblical worldview. Also, to be a shepherd is to care. It's to come alongside people uh, in their need, to counsel, to meet physical or financial needs, to pray, or to help the church navigate through COVID and make decisions as we go. It is to direct. It's to look to the future and to solve problems, to lead through, uh, grow forward. It was the elder team that brought the whole grow forward uh, to, to the center of um, our focus today in ministry. Also, uh, and, and lastly, is to discipline. There are times when shepherds had to correct unruly sheep, and there are still times in the church when sometimes people need some correction. Sometimes they get off the path, path and they need to be encouraged or helped or challenged um, to follow Christ. The key qualifications are what we read already, and that was from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. They're high qualifications. They're not just for anyone. I've seen churches at times who have, you know, just sought a warm body to, feel, to fill the role of a leader in the church um, or just find somebody who's willing to take the job, whether they were qualified or not. And that's not a very healthy uh, group of leaders when that happens. Uh, in verses 2 through 4, we see how these elders are to lead. Uh, in verse 2, it says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. They must lead for the right reasons. They must lead for the right reasons. There's a negative aspect negative aspect, not because you must, not because there is a vacancy on the elder team, not because someone uh, twists your arm in, in recruitment. It's not for the wrong reason, but, and there's a positive here, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. God wants people who are willing, people that want to serve God, people who would want to advance his kingdom, uh, people who want uh, to see the church thrive and to grow spiritually and to reach people for Christ. Also in verse 2, they must lead with right motives. And being shepherds of God's flock under their care. It's not about pursuing dishonest gain, but they need to be eager to serve. The negative is not pursuing dishonest gain. Uh, this is a wrong motive. It, it's, it's not for money. And oftentimes it doesn't pay very well anyway. Uh, it's not some kind of career advancement. It's not for personal recognition. But there's a positive here. Uh, they are to be eager to serve. God wants leaders who are eager to serve. Um, leaders who know they are here to represent Jesus and uh, to be a servant like Jesus and to be a foot-washing disciple. 
In verse 3, um, we see they must lead in the right manner. The negative is stated in not lording it over those entrusted to you. Not misusing power or authority, not viewing oneself as superior to others, not seeking others to be their servants. And there's a positive in verse 3, but being examples to the flock to show the church how to follow Jesus. This is a high calling. Not to show the church how to be perfect because leaders are not perfect. They are to show others to be examples of how to follow Christ. When they fail, they're, they're quick to admit their failures and their sin. And um, when someone else fails, they are quick to forgive. In verse 4, we see they must lead with the right focus. They must lead with the right focus. Let's look at verse 4. Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd appears, and the chief shepherd is, is Jesus when he returns the second time in, in, in glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And that's, that's the right focus. It's um, focusing on Jesus. He's the chief shepherd, and elders are under shepherds. Uh, Jesus is going to return, and you and I are to live as if today is the day, and we are to live and be ready for his return. And we are reminded that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're all accountable. Leaders are accountable to Jesus. And the church is accountable to Jesus. When Jesus returns, leaders who have served well will receive a crown of glory and an acknowledgement by Jesus for doing their job. And these are unlike uh, crowns of athletic contests or athletic games in, in the first century when when awards were given, a crown made of flowers or made of uh, pine branches, and, and they were temporary and they faded away. Our focus on one th verses 1 through four, 4 has been on leaders. Now the focus is on the church, and we see this in verse 5, following in the church. If you have leaders, you need followers. Who is to follow? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, in the same way, Peter writes, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And so uh, Peter specifically marks out younger people. And probably primarily in his generation, he is marking out younger men and uh, the need for them to have a submissive attitude toward their leaders, toward their elders, because I don't know if you know this, but sometimes the younger generation has better ideas than the older generation, and they just want to make changes without building relationships and communicating, and um, sometimes they can be a bit rebellious. So who is to follow? Well, younger people, but then Peter is really clear. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. It's for all of you. It's for all of us. Uh, 
We are the followers. How are we to follow? Well, again, uh, Peter writes in verse 5, he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. How are we to follow? We're to, we're to put on humility, to wear it like a coat. Jesus did not uh, come to be served, but he came to serve others. Humility puts other people's needs ahead of our own. Humility does not demand my rights. Humility is not low self-esteem. Sometimes people get confused about what humility is. It's not uh, low self-esteem. It's not having a poor self-image where we think we're worthless. That's not what it, it's not humility. Humility sees my identity in Christ. My value comes from him. My value does not come from what other people think of me. Humility is a choice. I like the words of C.S. Lewis. He wrote, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now let that soak in. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. When it comes to following leaders with humility, the writer of Hebrews writes this. He says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Why? Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And this is what Peter writes in verse 5. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Pride is about having an inflated view of oneself. It's about being puffed up or conceited. Pride puts me at the center of my universe. Pride distorts my reality and deceives me into thinking that I am entitled. I like the quote of John Stott. He said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. God opposes the proud. God works against the proud. The proud work against God. God shows favor, not entitlement, to the humble. The Apostle Paul describes humility in this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's a humble approach not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul would say, don't be motivated by selfish ambition. Value others as more important than yourself. Look for the interests of others. Have the same attitude as Jesus Humility reflects the very nature of Christ. Thomas Merton said this. He said, pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. I really like that quote. Pride makes us artificial. Pride creates an image of ourselves that we'd like others to see, always from our best angle. 
Humility makes us real. There's no deception. We have flaws and we all need Jesus. Pride makes us artificial. John the Baptist understood uh, humility. In John chapter 3, verse 30, he said, he must become greater, referring to Jesus. Jesus must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist got it. He understood. And as we approach communion today, let's make this our attitude. He must become greater. I must become less. What if in 2021, this were true of all of us, that Jesus would become greater in our lives and we would become less important in our own lives? How would God use the Bridge Church in 2021 if each one of us allowed Jesus to become greater and we pursued humility? Today we're going to share in a time of communion. So uh, if you have your bread and juice uh, ready, now is the time. When we celebrate communion as a church, we stop and reflect and we go back and we are reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is a humbling experience because I'm a sinner and, and I don't deserve uh, heaven. I don't deserve to have a relationship with God. I deserve to be judged and condemned. I deserve to be separated from God for eternity. But Jesus changed everything. When he came to this earth and when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. And I'm reminded of that when I take communion. And, and when, we, when we take uh, the bread and when we take the cup, the bread uh, is a symbol and it reminds us of the body of Jesus Christ that was nailed to the cross. And when we drink the juice, it's a, it's, it's a reminder that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross and his blood paid for all of our sin. Scripture says that when we come to a time of communion, that we um, need to examine our own lives. We need to reflect. We need to have short accounts with God. We need to make sure that if there's been any sin in our lives, that we uh, make sure that we have confessed that to God and received his forgiveness. So let's just take um, a time of silence, a time for reflection, and think about how Jesus will become greater in 2021, and you're going to become more like him. You're going to become more humble. You're going to become less. Let's just bow in prayer. Just ask God to calm your heart. Ask God to show you if there are areas in your life that you failed Him, that you need to confess to Him as sin. Just be honest. Just ask Him to, for, to forgive you. You can do this quietly and silently in your own heart. And you can receive Jesus' forgiveness today.
Our Father, many people have been honest um, before you during this time, and they've acknowledged failure, they've acknowledged sin, confessed it to you, and you have promised forgiveness. You have promised that you would cleanse them of all unrighteousness, and for that we say thank you, for that we give you praise. And now, Father, we just want to thank you for the bread. As we uh, will hold it in our hand, we will, we will be reminded of Jesus' body. Thank you that he came. Thank you that he loved us. Thank you that he died for us. Now let's just take the, the bread. You can open your sealed communion if you have that or if you have your own at home. Take the bread. This piece of bread is a symbol of the body of Christ. Let's share this together. And then, Father, uh, in the same way that Jesus did the first time after he took the bread, he took the cup and he gave thanks and, and we give you that, that thanks, God. We, we give you praise today for your goodness in our lives that Jesus would die for us. Thank you for the cup in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take the cup and you can take the seal off if you haven't already. This cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ Let's remember him together. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as often, whether it's virtual, whether it's in person, as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death. We put forth the gospel uh, together in unity right now. We are committed to Christ. We are committed to advancing the gospel. And um, that brings us into unity together on the same page. And an opportunity for the whole church at once to be cleansed and stand before God. Thanks so much for joining us today at the bridge. God bless you all. We're dismissed. <laughs>